If you're taking notes, see, this is the, the title of the message today. Let the party begin. Let the party begin. And we're going to start in Luke chapter 15, verse 1. And uh, we're going to skip around just a little bit in this chapter. Uh, so bear with me. We'll just read through it and then we'll jump into it. It says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them. And uh, Jesus, at, at, at this moment, he starts sharing a story about a sheep that wandered off and got lost, couldn't find its way back home, and there's a shepherd that went out. He left 99 sheep, and he went out to find that one lost sheep. And he, once he found it, he put it on his shoulders, and he carried it back, rejoicing. It was a party. Someone say a party. Let the party begin. And then he told a story right after that one about a woman who had 10 coins, and she lost one of her coins, and she searched the house and, and it was, it was unable to find it. And so she takes out her broom and starts sweeping all over the house to try to find this one lost coin. And, and Jesus, in his story, he tells us that when she found it, she, she was so excited that she went to her neighbors and friends and she said, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. And then he tells this third story. It's three stories, back to back to back. Short stories, we call them parables. But Jesus tells this third story, and we're going to pick up in verse 11. You're probably familiar with this portion of Scripture. It's the parable of the prodigal son. Verse 11 says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus was speaking to the religious leaders, remind you. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before I die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, look at the person you're sitting beside and just say, wake up, wake up. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. This is beautiful. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick! Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. Someone say, let the party begin. Mm. For the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. 
Meanwhile, the older son, he was in the fields working, and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf we are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry, and he wouldn't go in, and his father came out, and he begged him. Some will say he begged him. But he replied, all these years, the older son, he's saying, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing a fattened calf. Wow. My parents told me not to talk to them that way. That's, I don't know. I don't know if you were taught that way too, but his son had something to say in the story that Jesus told. But check this out, verse 31. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, and now he is found. Come on, come on. I want to remind you that this story never really happened. This is a fictional story that Jesus made up. And he's, he's talking to some religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, because Jesus was hanging out with the tax collectors. He was hanging out with the IRS. And, as the Bible puts it, other notorious sinners. He's hanging out with them. He's having life with them. The party has already begun with Jesus and the notorious sinners. And so these religious leaders, they're, they're kind of all stuck up and, and they're just, I, I can just imagine being a bunch of prudes just walking around, hmm, hmm, what's he doing with them? And they come up to Jesus. Why are you hanging out with them, Jesus? And so Jesus starts telling them stories. Have you ever had someone in your life that was a really good storyteller? Maybe it was a grandparent or, or a parent or a friend that they, they could just tell the best stories. And whenever they started, you're just captivated. You're entertained and you're, you're drawn in by the story that they tell. My son Jack, he's, he's five years old now. And, and uh, whenever we're riding in the car, usually whenever it's just me and him, we don't ever have the music on in the car or, uh, or anything like that because I try to use that time intentionally as a father to, to speak to my son and to have conversation with him. And, and so we started years ago, a couple years ago, we started telling stories. Or maybe we'll play I Spy or, uh, you know, we'll, we'll play Would You Rather, you know, Would You Rather Eat a Skunk Sandwich or Skunk Pizza, you know. And we, we just had these little silly games that we like to do, and, and we, we enjoy storytelling. And I think it all started uh, whenever he was about two, maybe three years old. Uh, he's, he's got a little stuffed animal dog. It's a, a, a yellow lab, and it looks like our real dog. We have a dog that's a, it's a yellow lab. His name is Buddy. And uh, Jack has this little stuffed animal that looks like our dog, and so his name is, is Bud Bud. That's what we call our dog, Bud Bud. And whenever Jack was not even two years old, we were in Bucky's. It's a great place to be. And we were walking through the little toy section, and it was late during the day, and, 
and we had had a long day, and, and Jack was very tired, and as, as a toddler can be, when they get tired, they're kind of grumpy and whiny, and so I took him by the toys, and we're just walking through the toys, and I'm talking to him, and he's got his head over on my shoulder. Well, we pass by the toy section with all the stuffed animals, and he sees this little yellow lab there, and we're just walking by, and he reaches out and, like, knocks it off the shelf, and so I pick it up, you know, I'm holding him, and I'm sitting there playing with him. Well, he grabs that thing and, and holds it and just leans over and falls asleep on my shoulder. And you just have to know, that's not Jack's personality at all. He is a live wire. He is, he's ready to go. He's, I mean, he's very hyper, very hyper kid. But that moment was just so sweet. He just grabbed that little dog and so I was like, well, I can't leave it here. We got to take this thing home with us. So we paid for it. And, and even to this day, he's still, every night, got to have Bud Bud before he goes to sleep. He's got to get Bud Bud, and he's got to be tucked in with Bud Bud. And, and we started a couple years ago, I would start telling him stories. And one night I told him a story about Bud Bud. And I don't even remember what Bud Bud did that particular night, but apparently it's a pretty engaging story for him. He liked it, and so the next night he asked me if I would tell him another Bud Bud story. And so I told him another one, and, and this went on for years still goes on actually we still talk about we still tell bud bud stories and i've probably told hundreds of bud bud stories and it always starts out the same way once upon a time there was a dog named bud bud and his best friend named millie because now he's got another dog that he added a couple years later and and so bud bud and millie they wanted to go on an adventure and then i'll start telling about how bud bud and millie they found their way to the NASA space station and, and somehow they got in the rocket and Bud Bud accidentally touched the wrong button and the rocket took off into outer space and they landed on the moon and you know the, the the adventures are always pretty crazy well after about 20 stories I started running out of content and uh, the stories kind of started getting a little bit sillier a little bit more far-fetched and and he loves it he loves it well now he's five years old and now instead of me telling him stories he said daddy I want to tell you a Bud, Bud, and Millie story. And whenever I'm in the car with him and he starts to tell me a story, as a father, I cherish these moments because I know they're not going to last for too much longer. But I cherish them because when he's telling the story, I can get a glimpse of his heart on the inside. I can get a glimpse of what he's thinking and, and, and how he's cognitively developing. And, and I can get a, a glimpse of, you know, what, what he thinks is right and wrong because he'll tell me, you know, Daddy Bud Bud did something. That was not a good thing that he did. And <laughs> I'm like, no, son, it was not good that he did that. And I, I start to see a little bit of his heart. And let me tell you, he's a good little storyteller. And Jesus, he was a good storyteller too. And the things about his stories, whenever we read parables, it's not just a story for entertainment's sake, but God, Jesus, is revealing the heart of God through these stories. So whenever we read the story about the prodigal son, we're not just hearing a story for the sake of entertainment, although they are entertaining. It's a good story. But we are getting a glimpse of the heart of God as he speaks this story. And here's three things that I think Jesus wanted us to understand through this story of the prodigal son. Number one, what you do is not who you are. What you do is not who you are. I like this in verse 17, Luke 15, verse 17, what we just read. 
It says, when he finally came to his senses. Or if you're reading in the New King James Version, I like the way it words. It says, when he finally came to himself. When he came to himself. Now, whenever Jesus is choosing the words for his story, he's not just throwing out words. He is meticulously and artistically crafting a beautiful story with the intention of sharing an important truth that we should understand. And so whenever Jesus speaks, and whenever I read in the Bible and I see red letters, I always try to pay as close attention to every word as I possibly can. And I love this, Jesus in his story, he says, when the young son came to his senses, when he came to himself. Now I want you to remember what the son did. He tells at the beginning of the story that, that the son went to his father and said, Dad, I want my share of the inheritance that I will get after you die, but I don't want it after you die. I want it now. Give it to me now. This is, in essence, what in Jesus' story, this is what the son is saying. Dad, you are worth more to me dead than you are alive. Wow. Jesus can tell a pretty engaging story. So we see the father, he, he agrees. Okay, I, I'll split it up. He gives it to his younger son, and his younger son goes out and he wastes it all in wild living. Very wild living, as we read later on in the story. But when he came to himself, I believe what Jesus is saying is this, whenever the son went out and lived that wild living, he wasn't living to his true self. He was at his truest self, as a repentant person, not a prodigal person. Not a prodigal person. How many of y'all are parents that have or have had teenagers in your home? Just raise, raise your hand if you've gone through some, some teenage years. Uh, thankfully, I'm not to that stage yet. <laughs> but I am a youth pastor, and I work a lot with teenagers. And I've had parents call me, I've had students call me all times of day and all times of night saying, hey, uh, I made a bad decision. Hey, my son or daughter uh, did this. I need you to come or I need you to talk to them. I need you to call them. And, and, and I love it when that happens. Uh, but at the same time, I'm I, you know, thinking, you know, parents, why are you asking me? Like, I have not had teenagers yet. I don't have that parental experience. But, but this is one thing that I have found out is that, when you're a teenager, you're going through some formidable times of your life. And you're trying to figure out who you are independent of your parents. It's a real stage of life. It's an important stage of life. And I think a lot of parents have hoped to, to kind of go around that stage of life just because it's uncomfortable, it's difficult, it's, it's, it's exciting for sure, but it's not real fun a lot of times because... Your teenager acts a little bit uh, stupid. <laughs> and you get frustrated. And they're frustrated. And you say some words and they say some words. And, and it gets to be a, a difficult time. Well, here's the thing. And what I always try to encourage parents with is this. You know, your, your son or your daughter is is trying to figure out who they are as an individual. It's frustrating for you as a parent because you know who they are, whether they want to admit it or not. 
you know who they are because you know their character. You know their personality. You know their quirks. You've, you've had the opportunity to examine and, and to see them growing up from eight or nine months old and, and, you know, whenever their personality starts to kick in as a little bitty baby and then they grow up into a toddler. And, and my son, Jack, he, he's really soft and, and sweet and he can be wild at sometimes. Well, my son, Luke, he is a tornado. That kid is crazy. He does what he wants. He doesn't care. We can, I mean, he's not even two years old yet and he gets, he gets whooped. And he gets whooped, and he'll go right back to what he was doing like nothing ever happened. And he'll look at you while he's messing with whatever he's not supposed to be holding or carrying around the house or, or climbing on cabinets. And he, he's a live wire. And we could tell that by the time he was six, seven, eight months old. And we get to see him grow up. And as parents, you get to see your children grow up. And then as they try to figure out who they are, you're frustrated because you know who they are. You know their personality. You know their true self. And so I always try to, to encourage parents to just hang on, just hold on, because one day they will come to themselves. They will come to their senses. I love Proverbs. It, it puts it in a very, it words it very well. Very familiar verse of Scripture, Proverbs 22, verse 6. Says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. But I do think it's interesting how Proverbs never talks about the, the teenage years. It says when they're old. <laughs> in other words, train up a child in the way they go. Whenever they become a teenager, they will depart from it. But whenever they're old, they won't. And so I always try to encourage parents, just wait, just hold on, because they will come to themselves. They will come to themselves. They will come to their senses. It's just going to maybe take a little bit for them to get there. And now I've, I've been a youth pastor now for, for nine years, and I've seen uh, kids come up, you know, two and three years old, and now they've got, you know, they're married and have families of their own. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's fun to, to watch some of these kids as they've grown and developed. And I've had the opportunity to see some of my students that have, you know, chosen to to do some stupid things and then they get older and they're like, wow, I was being really stupid, you know, and now they're 20-something years old and it's, it's just like, okay, good, congratulations, you came to yourself, well done. <laughs> and I love that Jesus tells this story because he, he tells us that even if we do go wayward, that he doesn't define us based on what we do. Remember whenever the son comes back home, the father doesn't say, son, you disappointed me. What does the father say? He said, get a robe. Go get a ring. Go get some sandals. Put it on. This, this is my son. He was dead. Now he's alive. The father never defined him by what he had done, by the choices that he had made. The father defined him by his relationship with him. He said, this is my son who was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost. But now he's found. The father didn't say, oh, he didn't do anything bad. He did say he was dead. He was lost. But now he's alive. And now he is found. Who or what you do does not define who you are. Don't you love that about God? Isn't that wonderful? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. That's the way God sees us. There is an end to the old life and a beginning to the new life. Notice this. There's an end to the old life 
He doesn't look back and say, oh, well, I remember whenever you messed up. I remember what you said. I remember how you reacted. He doesn't do that because what you do does not define who you are in the eyes of God. And I love this, the son, verse 18 and 19. It says, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, whenever, he, whenever the son is saying this, in the story that Jesus is telling, the son is rehearsing a speech. Because you read just a couple of verses later, he, he says it again. So in verse 17 and 18, he's, he's deciding to go home. And whenever I get home, this is what I'm going to say to my father. And I want you to notice what it says. He says, He's going to say to his father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. But notice whenever he gets home, what does he say? Look at this in verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Where's the make me like one of your hired servants? He didn't even finish because the father didn't let him. The father said, quick, get a robe, go get a ring, get some sandals, put it on his feet. This is my son. I'm so glad you're home. It's time to celebrate. Kill the fattened calf. It let the party begin. Come on. I love that that's the heart of God. It, it gives me hope as a human being. It gives me hope knowing that God doesn't look at me based on what I've done, but he looks at me based on who I am, and I am his son. That's beautiful. Come on, yes. Amen. Amen. Wow. Here's point number two, the, the, the truth that I believe Jesus wants us to understand from this portion of Scripture. Number two, draw near to the Father. You are not, or what you do does not define who you are. And we also need to learn to draw near to the Father. If we could just learn to let things go like this younger son. Like Jesus is telling this story and the younger son was very foolish. He went off and did foolish things. But whenever he came to himself, he got pretty wise pretty quick. And he, start, he, he said, you know what, I, I'm in this pig pen. I've been feeding pigs. I've wasted everything that I've been given. I have made a fool out of myself. I don't know what else to do. So I'm going to go home to my father. I'm going to go home to my father. <laughs> See, our problem, and I love that Jesus told this story like this, because I think our problem is we tend to hold on to the things that we do, and we say, this, this defines me now. This defines me now. I want to give you a little illustration. It goes something like this. Whenever we do something that we know we're not supposed to do. Take the, the, the prodigal son, for instance. He insulted his father. You know, father, give me my portion of the inheritance before you die. Dad, you're worth more to me dead than alive. He just hurt a relationship in his life. And then the prodigal son goes on, and he starts to live wildly. He starts to waste his resources. He's not a good steward of what he's been given. And, and he lives a very promiscuous life. 
The Bible tells us, let's just be honest, the Bible tells us that, that he wasted money on prostitutes. This isn't Jesus' story. So we know he's not lived a, a pure and holy life. And he starts making other decisions. Well, you know, I, I, I can fix this on my own. I can do this on my own. And, and so he starts to, to carry these things around. And, you know, I, I, I can, it's all right, it's all right. I know there's a famine, but, you know, I, I can do this on my own. I, all I got to do is just get a job. And I just got to make a little bit of money. And then, you know, th- things will be all right again. And, and, but can you, let's, let's bring it a little bit closer to home. What about some decisions that you've made? What about that coworker at work that you just really have a hard time with? And one time they just really got under your skin, so you, you said a couple choice words, whether it was to their face or behind their back, and now you're living with that, thinking, you know, who am I really like that? Where did that come from? Like, is there something inside of me that, that I didn't know was there? I didn't know I was that angry. I didn't know I was that mean. Or maybe, you know, I... I haven't been a good parent. I haven't been there for my kids or, or I haven't taught them right or, you know, I've got a lot of regrets in that area or, or maybe I've been, a, I'm a little bit of a liar. I have a tendency to lie and, and I, I don't mean to. It's just sometimes I just, I don't know, it just almost comes out of me. It's like a, a habit I, I have. And, and so, you know, and, uh, oh. and uh, you know, there, there's other, other things in my life too. Like I don't have a good relationship with my parents, and, you know, I've, I've, I've struggled in, in that area, and my microphone fell off, and, you know, I, I cheated on that test in college, and I still passed, but I, I feel like I'm, I'm a failure, and if I didn't cheat, I, I would have never had the right education. I cheated in my relationship, but my spouse doesn't know it. And good throws. And, you know, I'm just holding on to these things that are difficult. You know, but I think I can handle it. <laughs> I think I got this. Thank you. Sometimes people put things on you that you didn't want them to. <laughs> and you try to hold on to it and, and carry it around. And you think, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know how long I can do this. But this is who I am now. I've made my bed so I'll lie in it. I need to own up to my mistakes. They're they're mine. It's who I am now. Here's the problem. Whenever you're holding on to all the things that you've done and saying this is who I am, you're not really going to go very far very fast. If you were to say, okay, Sam, let's race. Don't drop anything. I I wouldn't beat anyone in here. I don't care if you came in with a walker this morning. You would be beating me to the front door because there is no way. 
But the prodigal son, he chose to say, what am I doing here? Why am I here? I've got a father that loves me. I've got a father that I can identify with. Why, why do I have to stay here and, and feed pigs? What, what good is this going to be for me if I stay here? And, and the prodigal son, I want you to notice, the Bible doesn't say that he gave a two weeks notice at his farm job. The prodigal son didn't say, oh, hey, boss, by the way, I need next week off. I got to go do a couple things. No. The Bible says he came to his senses and he said, I'm going to go home to my father. And he left the pig pen and went home to his father. We've got to learn to draw near to the father because here's the thing. The father has something so much greater than what we were holding on to. Here's the thing, if you're holding on to it though, you will never be able to pick up and accept and receive the grace of God in your life. We've got to learn to let go, to leave the pig pen and run to the Father. See, now that I've left that all in my past, I can, I can carry around the grace of God. This beach ball has a story, you can probably tell. We bought it for VBS this year. We had 60 kids sitting in these front five pews right here. And uh, at the, our last, our closing session of each day, we would turn on the music real loud. Kids like it loud. Turn it on real loud. They'd all be right there. and We brought out this huge beach ball. And they're all in there, yeah, oh my goodness, that's the biggest beach ball I've ever seen. We took the beach ball and we just threw it up there. And all the kids, are, they're down here and they're, they're hitting the ball and it's going up and down and over and around and, and it's knocking kids over and it's, it was amazing. It was incredible. Lots of fun. So I'm standing up here. We're waiting on the last couple of crews to come in from their last stations and got the music going real loud and, and one of the little kids he runs up here to the steps and he says Pastor Sam thank you so much for bringing that beach ball remember the music's really loud so he is like screaming at me I was like you are very welcome and he says you are awesome! There's a little Lane, Miss Cindy's grandson. I said, no, Lane, you are awesome! No, you are awesome! So for like, I don't know, 30 seconds, we're over here, no, you are, no, you are, no, you are! So they, he runs back down there and they start to play. And while I'm watching them, I just feel the Holy Spirit. You know those moments where the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, I got something, I got something for you out of that. I feel the Holy Spirit tell me this. 
my grace is big. And if you would just open your arms to receive it, you could know me better. And I love what, what little Lane said. He said, thanks for bringing it. You are awesome. If we would experience the grace of God, there's going to be a worship that comes out of our hearts. There's going to be a praise. He could have been out there hitting the ball with the other kids, but he took a moment to come up here, and I'm just going to say it this way just to, to get the point across, but he came up here to, to give me some praise and say, you are awesome. Listen, if we would just learn to accept the grace of God in our life, we would have that praise in our hearts. God, you are so awesome. Thank you so much for bringing this beach ball of grace into my life. Thank you that you have given it freely. And, and I want you to notice something too. That's a big beach ball. Thanks. Huge. One little girl's had on fake fingernails. And she put a big old hole in this on night two. All right, so that's the story right there. But this is what I want to say. God does not reluctantly give out his grace. God freely gives out his grace. God generously gives out his grace. And all you got to do is go to the Father. That's it. That's it. You might say, well, you know, I, I've had all these problems. I've, I've had all these issues. I've, I've sinned too much. I've done too much. God says, I don't care. Come on back. Take what you have. Turn around. Come on back. There's a, a Bible-sounding word called repent. Repent. And the simple definition of repent means to, it means to, to turn around and move in the opposite direction. And the story Jesus tells, tells us of a man that was in the pig pen. He was wallowing in all of his bad decisions. But the Bible tells us that when he came to himself, he made the decision, I'm going to go home to my father. He turned around and moved back in the direction of his father. Listen, God's grace will shower in your life abundantly if we just make the decision to turn around and go back home. Come on. God is good. And I'm believing that for my family, Brother Ken. I'm believing that for our church, that our sons and daughters would experience Jesus in, in the, every moment of their lives and they would make that decision, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to let this go. I've got to turn around. I've got to go back home. But I want you to notice, he said, I'm going to go home to my, I'm going to go home to my father. In the story that Jesus tells us, there's another son, the older son. And in his story, it says the son was in the fields, working. It says, and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing. He became angry. Now the younger son said, I'm going to return home to my father. The other son, the older son, he just, the Bible says, Jesus in his story says, he just returned home. Doesn't say anything about the father in that moment. The older son just 
returned home and he was angry. The younger son came back home and repented to his father and the older son came back home and rebuked his father. Church, if we're going to experience grace in our life, we're just going to have to learn how to come back home humbly and just say, I, I messed up, I made these mistakes, but Father, I'm home. I'm home. Notice the Father, he showered him with gifts. Here's the last thing that I believe Jesus wanted us to understand from this story. is that we need to learn to accept God's gift of grace. We need to learn to accept it. In verse 12, it says, The younger son said to his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And this word wealth comes from the Greek word bios, which translated means life or existence. It says the father divided his existence between his sons. Now the New Living Translation, what we read out of, says wealth. And that's, I, I think it's, uh, it, it could be more accurately translated as existence. I think if you're reading the New King James Version, it says livelihood. He, he divided his livelihood between his sons. His life, his existence. It was more than just his, his money and his possessions and, and uh, his property. The father divided out his livelihood between his sons. His very existence he gave to his two sons. Does that sound familiar? A father giving his very life in the form of his son to us, his children. Some will say he is generous. He is so generous. <laughs> He is so generous. The older son comes home and even after the father has divided his livelihood, the older son comes home and he says, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Father, you never gave me Notice what the father says. Verse 31. Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. In this story, remember the, the religious leaders, they're upset at Jesus because Jesus is hanging out with notorious sinners. And they're thinking, well, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, you don't need to be hanging out with these people. They don't deserve your love. They don't deserve your affection. They don't deserve your grace. And I love that Jesus takes the time to tell them a story and say, yep, you're right. They don't. But I give it because I want to. I give my grace because I love them. Not because they've earned it, but because I love them. The reason I hang out with them, the reason I eat with them, the reason I live with them is because I want to. I've got a big grace. I don't have a, a, a small grace. I've got grace enough for everyone. Come on. And he says, dear son, listen. If you would just open up your heart. He's talking to the religious leaders now. He's saying, if you would just open your heart, I've got enough grace for you too. 
I've got enough. And I want you to come inside. Luke 15 tells us the father comes outside Jesus in this story. He's so good. The father comes outside and begs his son, please come inside. Please listen. My, my younger son was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. We need to celebrate. Let the party begin. Come inside and celebrate with us. I don't want you out here. I want you inside with us too. I want all to join the party. Jesus, he tells this story. And in his story, he just ends it. There's no happy ending. There's no sad ending. There's no conclusion to the story at all. Jesus just stops the story with the father and the older son standing outside the house and the the father giving him the invitation to come in and join the party. And as he's telling this story, I believe what he's trying to get the, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders to understand is this. Listen, you have an invitation too. You don't have to be jealous that I'm living and showering these notorious sinners with my grace. You've got an invitation too. All you've got to do is choose to come back home. Choose to come inside I love this. Whenever we make decisions in any decision in life, there's typically three responses that people can give or will give to the decisions that we make. And one, obviously, is justice. We know justice, the simple definition for justice is justice is when you get what you deserve. I did the crime, so I'll pay the fine. You get what you deserve. There's another response, though, and that's the response of mercy. Simple definition of mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. It was Christmas Eve 2010. I was driving home. I was already frustrated. I was living in Dallas, so I was driving home from Dallas. I was already frustrated because I was missing some family traditions. My family's big about Christmas traditions. I was already frustrated because I had to go into work that day, and so I I got off about 12 or 1 o'clock, and and so I'm driving home, and I'm doing like every good Christian, and I'm just going a couple miles over the speed limit. Not much. And not enough, you know, to get pulled over. Two or three miles an hour over the speed limit. No big deal, right? Well, this guy comes flying past me. I'm talking about, I think the speed limit was 65. I was maybe going 68-ish. And he comes around like going lightning speed. Like it was in the 200s. had to be. It felt like it. I mean, he went flying by. The roads were kind of empty because people were at home except for me and this guy. And he comes flying past me. And again, like every good Christian, I think to myself in my heart, man, I hope he gets pulled over. I hope he gets pulled over and gets what he deserves. Am I the only person? You get passed in the road. Are, you, are, are there any competitive drivers out there? You're, you know, you're just like, you know, I, I don't really want them to, 
you know, pass me. Johnny's got a Mustang. I can't imagine he's a, no, no, he's not competitive at all. But I'm thinking to myself, man, I hope he gets pulled over. That would make my day just to drive past him as he's on the side of the road with the cop behind him and just drive past him and just, hope he gets what he deserves. Y'all, I'm not even lying. Less than three miles down the road, I'm driving along and all of a sudden, I look in my rearview mirror, guess what I see? Some red and blue flashing. And I think, oh man, I hope he's going to go past me and go get that guy. He stays right behind me. I'm on the interstate. Now, typically on a Dallas interstate, you can go 10 to 20 miles over the speed limit with no worry because everyone else is too. But on Christmas Eve, there's no one else on the road. So I pull over. He comes up to my window. Say, Merry Christmas, officer. Do you know why I pulled you over? Officer, really, I don't. You're going over the speed limit. I said, officer, I'm going to be honest with you. I had my cruise control set on three miles over the speed limit. He said, well, one mile over the speed limit is speeding. I said, officer, if you could show me, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Officer, if you could show me some mercy. Isn't that funny? Man, I hope this guy gets pulled over and gets what he deserves. Officer, please show me mercy. Isn't it funny how we want justice for others, but we want mercy for ourselves? See, the officer, thank you, Jesus. Goes to his car, spends about 30 minutes back there, it feels like. I don't know what takes him so long. He comes back, <laughs> comes back over. Mr. Wisdom, just going to give you a warning this time. Slow it down and be safe. Thank you, officer. Merry Christmas. <laughs> be safe. It's like, oh, thank you, Jesus. And then I was kind of upset because I was like, dude, I was going three miles over down a hill and he pulled me over. Like, there is why? And I was still kind of upset even after I had been shown mercy. But see, there's three responses that someone can give whenever you do something. Justice, mercy, and the third one is grace. Justice is when you get what you deserve. Mercy is when you do not get what you deserve. I deserved a ticket. I didn't get one. He showed me mercy. But there's another thing called grace, and grace is when you get what you do not deserve. And God says, I am rich in mercy. And he tells us that he is a God of abundant grace abundant grace and in this story that jesus tells it is so good because notice the father never comes with condemnation towards his son when he could easily be justified in doing justice 
And the father doesn't just show mercy by, by cutting his son off in the middle of his speech and say, no, wait, no, you're still my son. The father goes even further and he says, get him a robe. Get him a ring. Get him some sandals. Put it on his feet. Give him a gift. Go get the fattened calf. You know the one we've been preparing? Go get, yeah, go get that one. Let's bring it back. It's time to party. It's time to party. I can't imagine if I were in that situation and I was the son, I would be floored. I would be absolutely speechless. God, why would you do this? Why would you do Why would God give us grace? You know why I believe? Because he wants to. He wants to. See, we want justice for others. We want mercy for ourselves, but God wants grace for everyone. God wants grace for everyone. And so Jesus ends this story and he tells them, you're invited too. The younger son's already inside. The one who went off in rebellion, he's already inside. He's already accepted the free gift of God's grace. I want you to come inside too. (laughs) Because he's that good. And I don't know what your situation is. Maybe you haven't given your life to Jesus yet. Maybe you're like the prodigal son still in the pig pen. Well, there's an invitation for you to receive God's grace today. Maybe you've already made the decision, I, I gotta go back home. I, I gotta go back home to my father. I've already messed up too many times. That's my only option I have left. I got to go back home. Listen, there's an invitation for you to receive God's gift of grace. But maybe you're like the older son. Maybe you feel like you've been near to the Father all your life. You've been a good Christian. But there's been areas of your life where you have been rebellious, where you've took his gifts for granted, took advantage of his grace. You know what he wants to say to you today? Come on in, the door's open. Let the party begin. Maybe you're upset. Feel like you got the short end of the stick. The older son said, What you, you give you give your younger son a party even after all of his wild living? That's unfair. I've been right, I've worked for you all my life. Maybe you're the Christian. Oh, maybe you're the Christian that has some church hurt. That you've been offended by something that's happened in the church or something a, a Christian has said to you or done to you. The door's open for you too. Maybe you've been religious all your life, but haven't truly ever enjoyed a friendship with God. The door's open for you too. The beautiful thing about God's grace is he makes it available to everyone. And I hear the Father saying today, and I love, thank you so much, Brother Ken, for listening to the voice of God this morning and having us pray for our loved ones because I believe God is saying at this moment, the door is open. The door is open. Please come inside. And I think it's so beautiful that Jesus, as he's telling this story, he says the father came outside and begged his son to come in. That shows us the generous heart of God. In this story, Jesus tells us these truths. As I'm closing, grace is freely and generously giving to all who will accept it and If you choose to accept his grace, there is going to be a party in 
heaven. The Bible tells us that the angels rejoice. <laughs> I can't imagine what that looks like. I would love to see that, that moment whenever a person gives their heart to Jesus and opens their arms to his grace. I, I, I can't wait till I'm in heaven someday and I get to see the angels just start dancing and rejoicing and lifting up and praising the name of Jesus. There's another one, God. There's another one. There's another one. There's 10 more. There's 30 more. There's 100 more. Let's party. Come on. Let's, let's kill the fattened calf. Let's eat some steak. I'll tell you, I like the way they party in heaven. That's going to be a good thing, isn't it, Kelly? Yes, sir. Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your gift of grace and how generously you give it, how willingly you give it, how, how much you want to and desire to give it to each one of us. God, I pray that our hearts would be open to receive your grace, God, that we would all come to our senses in every area of our lives and turn around and move towards your grace, God, move towards your presence, that we would draw near to the Father. And God, I pray that you would remind every single person in this room here today and anyone who may be watching or listening to this later on, God, I pray that you would remind every one of us that we are not defined by what we have done, but we are defined by our relationship with you. God, we love you so much. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, someone say amen. Amen. This week, I want to encourage you to go share the grace of God. God give the, gave the Pharisees an opportunity to be invited in to the grace of God, but then he commissions us to go out and to share the grace of God. So this week, be gracious to someone. I love you so much, church. Have a wonderful week. Again, we've got the community service tonight at 6 o'clock over at the Atlanta Church of God, and uh, we'll see you again on Wednesday. Love you so much.